Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Salt and Light by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, you're glorious and we get to celebrate that every Sunday and every Monday and every Tuesday and every Wednesday. But together we do it today. We celebrate the fact that you are glorious. Lord, I pray for open ears and open hearts this morning that the seed of your word would find good soil in each and every one of us, I pray. Your wonderful name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Steve. First slide. I want to put up, move to the next one. Thanks, Mike. The first quote. Thank you. I want to briefly put up uh, what I would, I want to kind of round out Vision Month. And uh, over the month of September, uh, I have expose what I believe God has placed on my heart for us as a church. And I want to finish that today. But to wrap it up in a paragraph, I thought, how do I sum everything I want to say up in a paragraph? It would be for us all to engage with Jesus at a deeper level that moves past mere externals and takes needed steps to enhance the fruitfulness within our own lives. For us all then to be a church founded on a fuller revelation of the person of Jesus Christ, living in a manner worthy of our calling and each of us equipped to be influencers within our community. I believe that this is where God desires to take each and every one of us. I believe if, if we take week one, I spoke at the start of September about going deeper with God. Um, a book that wrecked me, and I'm reading it again now, is a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. And in the very first chapter, he says that God is waiting to be wanted. And tragically, he goes on to say he waits far too long. And uh, I want to be a church that goes deep with God. I want to, I'm, I'm asking each and every person here that we go on a journey together of moving deeper with God. And we saw that that lies in what or whom, more importantly, it is that we value. Week two, we spoke about changing our harvest. You know, so many times uh, in our own personal spiritual walk with Christ, we tend to go round the mulberry tree to some some extent. And although God is seasonal and although uh, uh, there are patterns with God, uh, we see that God tends to move us spirally upward uh, along those seasons, along those patterns. And uh, we need to change our harvest. I know I do as an individual and changing our harvest looks like changing what it is that we sow into our hearts and lives and the condition that it reaches. And so we had a look at that. Last week, we had a look at the glorious church and uh, a picture of the glorious church is a picture of a group or a community, which is the kingdom of God, uh, walking in a manner worthy of what we were called. And that is so much easier when we grasp a fuller revelation of who it is that invited us. Uh, Our mission statement here at The Rock is to know Christ and to make him known. I believe the second part we'll talk about today is an organic process of the first. Uh, Also, you know, church isn't really for you guys to come here and watch a handful of people minister. Uh, Church is about a group of people equipped to, to exercise your gifts and to minister, to do the work of the ministry, says Ephesians. It's about all of us expressing our faith. And I want to have a look today at what that looks like for each and every one of us as individuals. And I want to finish off today by giving it some flesh and blood. So if you'd like to meet me in Matthew chapter 5, I'll grab some moisture. Jesus 
was speaking uh, to those who would be in the kingdom community. The greatest preacher in the universe is uh, about a quarter of the way through the greatest sermon that mankind has ever heard. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus moves past the Beatitudes now to uh, referencing what the Christian life in the kingdom of God should look like. The Christian life for each one of us should look like, says Jesus, both salt and light. And we'll have a look at both of those today. Jesus uses a parable to describe what our lives should look like. It's interesting, Jesus would reference us as, uh, 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 when he's speaking about salt and light, he's talking about our Christian witness and our Christian walk in our Christian life. It's interesting in in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, everybody loves this verse because it says, you shall receive power. And all the Pentecostals are dancing when they hear that verse. Yes, we shall receive power. But they forget to read the rest of the verse that says, to be my witnesses. You shall receive power. The word power in the Greek is dynamo. It's where we get our word for dynamite. It's an explosive, dynamic power alive in the individual of the believer. We can't do this on our own. We need his power to be his witness. Who knows that being comes before doing. Uh, In Mark chapter 3, Jesus called his disciples to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And all the Pentecostals again are dancing and getting excited, but they forget the first thing that they were called to do, and that is to be with Jesus. That's what Mark 3 tells us. Mark 3 tells us that he called his disciples to be with him, then to cast out demons, then to heal the sick. All those things are a natural outcome of those who are in contact with with the most glorious being in the universe. So Jesus says that we are to be salt. And what does Jesus mean when he references the Christian life as salt? Well, in the first century, salt was certainly something that preserved. It, was, it speaks metaphorically of our character and our condition. But the interesting thing about salt, uh, when you apply it to anything, it does not reverse corruption or decay but it is designed to preserve and arrest the condition that it finds. We live in a society today that is full of corruption. We live in a society today that is full of sinfulness and God has called us to be salt. And what salt does is it stops the spread. You go to the Middle East and wonder why some of these countries are in such disarray. They have a a moral spectrum in some countries that... differs vastly to ours. Why? Because there's no salt. What was the first thing that Hitler did in World War II? Destroyed the influence of the church. He took it over. The church became controlled by the state. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the first one to put his hand up and says, do you guys actually realise what is going on here? And all the Christian community said, It's nothing. It's fine. It's small. But a heap of small things added up until we get to about 1939 and all of them turn around to Bonhoeffer and go, you were right. Now we're in trouble. It's too late. The influence. Jesus has called us to be salt. Who knows that this world needs salt? Who knows that this world is actually looking for salt? Um, I praise God. I've prayed uh, earnestly for many years, as many of us in this room have, but I praise God that we have a Christian Prime Minister. 
We need to pray for Scott Morrison. He is not a perfect man, but he does pledge an allegiance to Christ. That'll do me. So amen. We need to remember him in our prayers. We need salt in our parliament. We need salt in your workplace. Believe it or not, you need salt in your workplace. You need salt in your schools. We need people that are preserving. Salt will arrest decay and destruction. God has placed us in sinful surrounds to have an influence. That's what salt does. Uh, John Maxwell says that all leadership is influence. Parents, you are leaders. School teachers, you are leaders. Nurses and doctors, you are leaders. Christians, you are leaders. We are called to have an influence on those around us because that's exactly what salt does. Salt has an influence. It's no good sitting on the shelf. Who knows that if you've got bags of salt in the pantry, it does nothing to preserve anything while it's sitting in the pantry. It, it has to be applied to, to anything, to arrest anything. So that's the same with us. We have to let our salt have an influence. Can I have that first quote up, please, Steve, from Winky Prattney? He says, every day you are witnessing. What are you witnessing to? Your witness is the total package of your attitudes, character and actions. It doesn't lie. Your witness is your words. Your witness is your attitude towards other things. Your influence is your attitudes as well as what you do on the outside. Influence is the capacity to have an effect on character development or behaviour of someone or something. And I was challenged when I read this because I began to look at my own life and say, how much influence do I have? And is my influence always a good influence? In my football days, maybe not. Being salt is being an influence, but we need to take a warning from Jesus. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You, of all the earth, of all that there is, you are the salt of the earth. We're not going to arrest corruption by mere philosophies. We're not going to, uh, uh, we're not going to be able to have an influence on our community by our grand theologies. It's about the life that we live. But Jesus says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In fact, salt that had lost its savour in the first century would be thrown out onto the fields and it would actually have a negative influence. Nothing would grow. It would become sterile. And we can lose our taste and our salt and our flavour. If it's not positive, our influence is negative. I want to speak about what it is that uh, a negative, what does it mean to lose our savour? Thank you for the next slide, please, Steve. The number one thing that will lose your savour and your taste is compromise. And Melody Green writes a wonderful biography about a wonderful man by the name of Keith Green. If you have... If you don't know of Keith Green, then Google him on YouTube and listen to his songs. Uh, some of his songs will wreck you. But uh, Keith Green, those who worked closely with Keith Green said, man, he was talented, but he was intense. He was, he was 100% all the time. And Melody Green writes a biography called No Compromise, The Life of Keith Green. No Compromise. 
What's the problem with, with the church in the West so much today? What's the problem? What challenge can we bear from this is too often we allow compromise. I remember when I was in the forestry, we, normally they would use a machine to harvest the rows that you would plant trees in. We got the one block, it was that steep, they couldn't find anybody game enough to put a machine on it. So they said, look, we just burnt the side of the hill and uh, you just plant it in straight rows. And I thought, okay. And we started off, it's interesting how uh, the first guy that goes a little bit crooked, you can't really tell. But by the time you get halfway across the hill, that has turned into that. And I've got guys going horizontally across a slope they're supposed to be walking vertically up. Why? Because a little bit of compromise here ends up down here as a big compromise. What does that look like in churches today? Uh, the number one hallmark of, uh, sentence in Genesis chapter 3 is where the enemy comes to Adam and says, did God actually say? We hear that in society far too much today. Did God actually say that marriage was between man and a woman? Yes. And yet compromise looks like 50 years ago you would not have even entertained the idea, but now it's okay. We might just, it's okay. If, you know, it's up to you. If you want to, we now have a denomination in Australia that has said it's up to you. If you want to marry same-sex couples inside your buildings with a minister, that's okay. That's good compromise. And the world is actually looking for us to be salt and to stand up and go, no, that's not correct. C.S. Lewis says that those that have made the greatest impact in this world are those that live with a full view of the next world. And I believe that if we live our lives in full view of who it is that we will meet and what is to come, then we will have a greater impact on our communities today. So we need to be careful of compromise. Compromise is accepting of a standards that are lower than desirable. Jesus went on to say... If we have a look at verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. And I like this one because this one's going to move to more of a church setting in a moment. Let's, let's finish out this part here where he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine. We'll get to that word let, but underline it and circle that word let now. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your your father who is in heaven. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Your witness and the life that you live should shine light in a dark place. Who knows that if you're asleep and somebody rushes in and turns the light on, that it is somewhat of a shock when, you first, when it first reaches your eyes. We live in a world that's a little bit like that at the moment. It's like, turn the light back off. We want to go back to sleep. But Jesus said, you are the light of the world. What does light do? Light illuminates. Can you imagine walking in a dark room? Uh, I can remember um, uh, my stepfather was well into hunting. And to be deer shooting, you had to be where you wanted to be about half an hour before the sun came up. So you can imagine bush walking at 3 a.m. in the morning when there was zero light. We tripped over fences, boulders, rocks. By the time we got there, we were in worse shape than any deer was ever going to be. But who knows that when the sun comes up, it's like, oh, walking is a whole lot easier when the sun's up. That's what light does. Why does the world not like the church? Because she shines a light. 
which is John 3.19, tell us about light. Uh, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and men prefer darkness because they don't like exposure. What does coming to Christ look like? This. Lord, let your light shine on my heart. Light illuminates, it reveals, and it exposes. It, you know, physically it reaches our eyes, but metaphorically and spiritually it reaches the mind. It, it opens our, our understanding to the truth of God. But it also, just as it does in the physical, uh, so it is in the spiritual, it requires an organ adapted to receive it. Light does no good to those who are blind. We can't see it. We should be praying for our community that they have an organ that is receptive to light. I believe that God has called us and all churches to be a community that has an impact, a community here that has an impact on our community. Jesus said that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Who knows that a city is not a bright landmark because of one or two lights? Uh, flying into Brisbane, you, you don't see this in Tasmania because nobody, we don't have electricity in Tasmania. We're... <laughs> we do, but they're not very bright from an aeroplane. But when you're flying into Brisbane, you, you can see Brisbane and the Gold Coast from a long way away. You know when you're approaching, and it's not because one light is shining in a city of two million people, it's because many lights are shining. What Jesus is saying is, I haven't called one or two of you to live a bright life for me, but I've designed a community to all shine your light brightly. And what happens is like a city set on a hill. It shines its light from a long way away. We're called to be that city on a hill. We're not called to be one light shining. Jesus says that the the glorious church in Ephesians, Paul would tell us, is where we're all equipped to better shine our own lights. We're like a city on a hill. Let's keep reading on. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Now it speaks of our individual light. Jesus says, when you're all together and you're all shining your light, you will have an impact that is very far reaching. But when you are uh, also as an individual, you need to shine your light because it gives light to everybody. People who have influence are those who shine their lights brightly. It's like putting a lamp on a stand. How many of us have been camping and it's dark and your light or you need... You, you flick a torch nowadays, but you, or you would light. And who knows that at that point in time, all of a sudden you can see everything. All of a sudden, who knows that if you want to see anything in a campsite, you don't light the light and then shove it under your pillow. The lamp on the stand speaks about our own personal light. I want to come down to one of the most important words I believe in this section. It says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Jesus is now saying, this is how he uses parables. He's saying now in the same way, let. And that word let is to give permission. And Jesus is saying, let your light shine. But how many of us know that, and I've been guilty of this too, and probably am even now too much, Lord. uh, How many of us are guilty of installing a dimmer switch? You ever know how uh, you you walk into your house and and some of the, the lounge room might have a dimmer switch? How many of us know that when it comes to Sunday, the dimmer switch is right up bright? But then by the time we get to Tuesday, we just turn it back down a little bit. 
I wonder what would happen if the church in Western society and me as well, I'm pointing at me at the moment as well, I wonder what would happen if we just removed the dimmer switch altogether. Jesus is saying, turn the light on or turn it off. We'll talk more about that tonight when I talk from Revelation chapter 3. But he says, just turn it on or turn it off. Thanks for that quote, please, Steve. Uh, Robert Murray McShane, wonderful pastor. Uh, They reckon that he died of a broken heart praying for Scotland and for his church. But Robert Murray McShane says that the Christian is a person who makes it easy for others to believe in God. And I had to ask myself the question when I read this, do I actually make it easy for other people to believe in God? Is the life that I live make it easy? Do I stand out? Where Rodney Howard Brown would say, we are peculiar. And everybody said, yes, pastor, you're peculiar. Amen. I heard that, Deb. (laughs) But we need to let our light shine. We need to remove the dimmer switch and be proud of the fact. What did Paul say in Romans 1 uh, verse 16? He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of salvation. I am not ashamed. Maybe we would see more people coming to salvation if we were less ashamed. If we hid our light less. Who here wants to glorify God? I want, to be a, I want to be a part of a church and a community that glorifies God. I want to live a life where I stand before him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the person in front of me steps aside and I step forward. But uh, <laughs> I want to live a life that glorifies God. And this is what Jesus says as he finishes out this part. He says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want to live a life that gives glory to God. I need to take up the challenge to be salt and light. And I want to speak now specifically to everybody here. This is what I believe that God would have to say to some people here. And I know it's what God had to say to me recently. Uh, Who knows the story of Moses? And you can meet me in Exodus chapter 4 if you like. Uh, I love Moses because outside of Christ, he's one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. Uh, He's a man that we will take great courage from today because he doesn't bring a whole lot to the scenario. Who knows that when I met Jesus, I had nothing on offer. I said, Jesus, I I can see what you're giving me, but I've got nothing. How many people can testify to that this morning? But uh, Moses, let's just do a little bit of a recap. Moses is... Uh, the scriptures say that um, because they were supposed to kill all the babies, but that his parents saw that he was beautiful. I don't know if we use that word towards males nowadays, but they did then. But they saw that Moses was beautiful and they put him in a basket and they put him out on the river. Who knows that you don't do that with beautiful babies today? (laughs) But they put him out on a river and he ends up in Pharaoh's house and he grows up and, you know, Hebrews tells us that he despises or he rejects the pleasures of sin that he could have enjoyed in Pharaoh's house so that he could share in the reproach of being recognised with God's people. There is something deeply different about Moses. I don't know. I don't know about anybody else in this room, but I would have been tempted to go, you know what? Um, God, I could have more influence here in Pharaoh's house. Just leave me here with all these scented bars and whatever else. But Moses says, no, 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 no. 
it's more valuable for me to be recognised with God's people. And we know the story of the burning bush uh, as we come to chapter 4 of Exodus. Uh, Moses has just uh, been, spoke, been speaking to God from a burning bush. Who knows, not many bushes burn and aren't consumed. And in the Middle East, spontaneous combustion is not something that is uh, unusual, but a bush that is ablaze but not being consumed is very different. And I would believe that for us as a church, I would actually say we're at the burning bush moment right now. I would say that God desires to pour into each and every one of our lives, but we have to do something that Moses did and it's deeply profound. It's called turn aside. What Moses is doing is he's out tending the sheep of his father-in-law. He sees this bush and uh, chapter 3 tells us that when Moses turned aside, God spoke to him. And we come to chapter 4, and I I take a lot of encouragement from chapter 4. Let's begin to read from uh, chapter 1. God has said to Moses, I am calling you to go back to Egypt. I'm calling you to speak to my people. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Uh, Moses, we know, will have an amazing influence on Egypt, a a kind of Red Sea cataclysmic kind of influence. But who knows that he also has an amazing influence in the people of God. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you the Lord said to him oh underline this please underline this verse what is that in your hand Moses is talking to God and God says you need to go back and have a chat with Pharaoh and and we're going to miraculously all my people are going to miraculously be uh, uh, redeemed from slavery and Moses says what they're not going to believe me and God says what's in your hand Moses how many of us would have been formulating plans, looking, looking for formulas? Uh, what program do I institute in the church now, Jesus? Uh, God says, what's, what's in your hand? So often God doesn't want any more than what he's already put in our hands. And what is Moses' answer? I love this answer. And Moses, uh, God says, what is that in your hand? And he says, it's a staff. What I love about God is, and what Moses and the life of Moses testifies is this, that God can do the miraculous with the mundane. The only thing we have to do is offer it up to him. Uh, I was reading in Mark chapter 6 this week of the feeding of the 5,000. I love how Jesus does this. You know, Jesus has, uh, he wants to display a miracle and a sign to everybody, but he also wants to teach his disciples a lesson. He does both. And here we come to the feeding of the 5,000 and the people are weary and uh, they come to Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus and say, send them away so that they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, 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 you feed them. You know what, I think Jesus is saying that to us. Don't send anybody anywhere else. You feed them. You've got everything you need right now. But they turn to Jesus, we know the story, the disciples turn to Jesus and say, well, what do you want us to do? Find 200 denarii's worth of bread for this lot? And Jesus says, no. And how many of us are like that? I know I am. How many of us are like, okay, Lord, you want me to do that? Uh, Where do I find 200 denarii? And where am I going to find a baker to work 24 hours a day for the next six years? And Jesus says, well, what have you got? That's what he says to the disciples. What have you got? Who knows that five loaves of bread and two fish are barely enough to feed one of my boys? But Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds 5,000 people. And it was all because the disciples said, here's what I've got. You know what? This, 
I am thankful to God for what we have in this church. We need to live our lives in a kind of glass half full more of a mentality. Looking at what it is that God has given us. Have a look at the worship team that gets up here every week. Aren't they awesome? We don't have the worship team that Hillsong's got, but we've got an awesome worship team. We don't have, we won't have the buildings and the premises maybe that some other churches have, but man, God is blessing us richly. God is doing an amazing work in our midst. We have a lot to offer. We have a lot more than five loaves and two fish. We have some wonderful volunteers. We have some awesome servants. We have fantastic leadership in this church. The board and the elders are amazing. They're just beginning to do as they're told. (laughs) That's where the staff comes in, brother. (laughs) But we are, we're blessed. And we need to live life with a more of a glass half full. This is what I got, Lord. It's not five loaves and it's not two fish. It's far more than that. And God can do the miraculous with the mundane. And so often we miss the miraculous in the familiar. Because, you know, God's going to say to Moses, he says, put your staff on the ground and it becomes a snake. And then he says, put your hand in your cloak and it becomes leprous. Then he puts it back in and it's healed. And then he says, if they won't believe that, then take some water from the Nile and chuck it on the ground. And all of these things are familiar, but we miss the miraculous. Rodney Howard Brown said in a meeting in Melbourne, I'll never forget it. He said, you know what? God could lift the roof off this building tonight, suspend it two metres in the air and gently lower it back down. And there would be people in the room here tonight that would say the bolts weren't done up tight enough. We miss the miraculous in the everyday that God does in our lives all too often. What's in your hand, Moses? I don't want to hear about what's not. Let's see what Moses goes on to say. But, and this is a big but, we come down to verse uh, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O Lord my God, I am not. God doesn't want to hear what you're not. God doesn't want to hear what it is that you don't have in your glass. God knows what you don't have, and God knows who he is. Moses says, I am not, and we spend far too much telling God what we are not, and he spends far too much time, I feel, trying to tell us what we are. This is who you are. I am not eloquent, and it's actually correct, because Moses, uh, his, history will tell us that Moses was a, a known stutterer. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Oh, you've forgotten who you're talking to, Moses. You've forgotten who put that mouth together in the first place. You've forgotten who it is that can not only create the Red Sea, but just pull it apart for a few moments until we baptise the Egyptians. The Egyptians got baptised the Pentecostal way. (laughs) Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? God is in control. Maybe we should trust him more then. Maybe I should trust you more, Lord, and trust myself less. Is it not I, the Lord, he goes on to say. 
And how many of us uh, now therefore go, says God, and I will be with your mouth. That's exactly the words I believe everybody here needs to hear. In all of your insufficiencies, in all of your inadequacies, his grace, just as it was for Paul, is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for us. Paul was a very learned man, very well educated, discipled by the greatest of Pharisees, Gamaliel. Gamaliel. And yet he would say, all of that is rubbish, you know. I've come to realise that I couldn't lean on any of that. When I'm standing before Christ, I couldn't lean on any of that. I had to lean completely on him. Uh, recently, I shared this on a Sunday night. Recently, I read Second Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul talks about his troubles in Asia. And he had, when, when you read that passage, Second Corinthians chapter 1, he had some troubles in Asia. He says, you know what? He says, it got to the point where I despaired of life itself. I thought that we would all die. And he says, oh. He says, but all this happened so that we wouldn't rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What a profound statement. All of this happened to us. What? Hang on. One of the most devout followers of Christ, you went through hardship. That doesn't sound like the prosperity gospel at all. And he says, all this happened so I wouldn't rely on myself. I know some stuff's happened in my life. I don't know about anybody else because you guys have got it all together. But I know some stuff has happened in my life. And I've looked back and said, I needed that lesson. I needed to learn to rely on you. How many of us have said these words, verse 13, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. I want you to know something. God's not sending anybody else. God doesn't have to send anybody else. Brisbane is waiting for us. Please send somebody else to be sold. Please send somebody else to tell them. Please send somebody else. And come down to verse 17. And God says, and take in your hand this stuff which, which, with which you shall do the signs. I believe God would tell us, take what it is that you've got in, the, in your hands and I will do the miraculous. We've heard a testimony of what God has done, the miraculous, in a physical and logistical manner with what it was that this church had. He's doing some good work in this place and may he receive all the glory. As I, as I round this out now, I want to come down to partnership. I want to explain what I mean by partnership. Partnership, uh, Philippians 4, verse 15, Paul speaks about uh, that the Philippians uh, entered into partnership with Paul. Paul's talking about giving in that respect, but the word partnership speaks of two people taking their hand in hand and saying, I'm going to partner with you for the spread of the gospel and for the work of the kingdom. So that's what partnership is. Partnership is, uh, what, what partnership is here for the rock is for you saying, this is where God's planted me, so this is where I'm going to bloom. And we want to give everybody the opportunity. We have a photo frame that was signed last time we had Partnership Sunday. But if you want to partner with us, if you want to say, you know what, this, this, this isn't something we record. Uh, we, don't take, we don't take photos and send it to Interpol. We don't do any of those things. But if you want to partner with us in the vision for Christ, then, and you can do that without signing the frame, but if you want to make that pledge today, then you can come down and there will be time for you to sign the frame. But we have some core values which I have highlighted recently in the newsletter. And they are the five I's. 
The first one is invite, that as a church we are reaching out and being an invitational church with open doors for anybody. All are welcome and we want to reach out more to the lost. Increase is about fostering an atmosphere of environment and growth. We want, to in, we want to foster an environment here that allows people to grow in their relationship with Christ. Intensify is about living passionately in intimacy with God. So much easier when, when you want to do something. Invest is about having open-handed generosity of our talents and our means. And inspiring is about each one coming into the fullness of God's gifting for them. I believe God is saying something both as a church this morning, as he says, in a city on a hill, but also as individuals to let our lights shine and to stop looking at what it is that perhaps we do not have and embrace what it is that God has given us and allow him to do the miraculous with what he's put in our hands. Can we stand together, please, as we pray? Bow our heads before the almighty God. Father, this morning I thank you for everything that you have placed in our hands. I thank you for all the wonderful people that make up this community. It is a pleasure, Lord, to pastor this wonderful group of people. Lord, we pledge a partnership with you now, that wherever you would find us, Lord, may we take your hand today as well. Lord, I pray that you would remove dimmer switches in this room right now. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up a community and a team here that will be fully equipped and live worthy of the wonderful calling you've given to each and every one of us. Lord, we take your hand this morning and we say, here's what we have. Here's our five loaves and two fishes. We say that as a church and we say it as individuals this morning. Here's what we have in our hands, Lord, and we invite you to do the miraculous. We invite you to set the captives free, Lord, just as you did in Egypt. We invite you to gloriously make yourself known just as you did to the people of Israel. We invite you to make your invitation to a dying world through us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of being joined to Christ. We thank you for the opportunity of being joined to one another. And this morning we say amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.